1: welcome everybody to the retirement success in maine podcast my name is ben smith i'm joined by always uh, my two co-hosts here abby duty and curtis wister the margaret chase smith and george mitchell to my william s cohen how are you guys doing today Hey, well. how are you? Doing well. Of course, um, we're kind of keep rolling with, with the shows here. Things are going great. Again, we, we want to say thank you to a lot of listeners out there. We are at episode 40, and I know we're getting a lot of momentum. So I want to just make a quick plug here. If you have been listening for a while, and if you want to leave us a review, feel free to go to Apple Podcasts. And at the bottom of our show list, you can go and click and, and rate us, review us. We'd love to just hear feedback that way. So feel free to go in and we'd love to love to have some of the feedback there in the in the review system for Apple Podcasts. But really for today's show, one of the things we want to dig into was hey, retirement, of course, is a really big deal, but one of the foundational components of retirement is really kind of is this idea of what's the level of income I'm going to have over the course of my retirement. And it's really estimated for the average American retiree, 40% of their retirement income comes from Social Security. But how do I make sure that I'm making good decisions about a Social Security benefit that's supposed to pay me for the rest of my life? Am I asking the right questions of Social Security when I talk to them? Are there benefits that I might be entitled to that I don't know about? What about life complications that can impact my Social Security benefits like divorce, disability, and death? So, of course, with all of our shows, we want to discuss the insights that may better your upcoming or existing retirement. So that's really the premise of today's show. We wanted to have that conversation about social security. So really enter someone here that helps educate the public on how to maximize their social security benefits. So our guest today, she is the Social Security Administration's Public Affairs Specialist for all district offices in the state of Maine, as well as for the Portsmouth, New Hampshire District Office. She's been working for the agency since 2005 and uh, enjoys sharing her knowledge of social security with the community she serves. And I do have a quick disclaimer I need to read here, that, that participation in this podcast presentation and video does not constitute an endorsement by the Social Security Administration or its employees of the organization and information and products not provided by Social Security. So Social Security does not endorse this podcast, nor us at Point Advisors. <laughs> want to make sure that's really clear, but we're really thrilled to have our guest on today's show. So I'd love to welcome Libby Newport to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Welcome, Libby.
2: Hi, go- Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, thanks for coming on. And and one of the things again, I, we have a lot to unpack in today's show. And I know we're we're going to be hitting you and peppering you with lots of different scenarios and questions that that we see from our clients' perspective almost on a daily basis. But with all of our guests, we always like to dig into our guests and hear a little bit about you, right? Because I know, Libby, in our conversations, you just have such a great passion for helping people. And it really just is apparent with, with every conversation I've been a part of and, and heard the interactions that you've had here. But I'd like to just get into your history. Mm-hmm. So can you just tell us a little bit about your uh, experience growing up and your connection to Maine?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I was born and raised in southern Maine, and I stayed in Maine for college and then I decided to make my home in Maine after that because most of my friends and family they they are still here and so that that's home to me is my my friends and family and um Maine it's it's my home
1: nice well yeah. and I, I think that's something where you know in, in especially all all three of us are also mainers here and okay. just the passion connection you have is you know until you kind of been here and Being able to experience the ocean, but being able to experience Mm -hmm. the mountains or, Mm -hmm. you know, you you got a little city in the, you know, the southern part of the state, or you can go really uh, rural and and really agricultural and lots of different pockets. So you kind of have all these really flavors here, which really makes Maine really special, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your path, Libby towards working with or for the Social Security Administration. So how did how'd that come about? Like, what was the passion there? And what, what was the thing that drove you to, to that career?
2: Sure, sure. So a couple of years out of college... I was looking for a different job, and I was even contemplating perhaps returning to school, going to graduate school, law school, but I was really lucky to be looking around, at the, around the time that the Medicare Modernization Act was signed into law, and so because the Social Security Administration was going to be so instrumental in that program, they were looking to hire some some new people to come on board, and so I was fortunate enough to be one of those people, and I've been with the agency since 2005, so... So yeah, it's been, it's been great.
1: So have you been in your role in terms of the public affairs specialist? Has that been your role the entire time? How has that changed for you since you joined in 2005?
2: Yeah, that's great. So I I joined as a claims specialist. And so um, for the first nine years of my career at Social Security, I took claims from people um, filing for retirement, disability, survivor's benefits. And so one one thing I quickly learned working for Social Security was that um, I really had to figure out how to make complicated things easy to understand. Depending on who I was talking to, I really had to tailor my communication style. If it was, you know, someone who was in their 20s, who was no longer able to work because of a disabling condition, or if it was an older person who just lost their spouse and they were looking into survivor's benefits. So I was actually able to utilize that skill and do small presentations around the community in the field office that I worked in. And then in 2014, an opportunity presented itself so that I could continue to do more of that work, but throughout um, Northern New England. So I've been in public affairs since 2014. And I think my most favorite thing is when um, I've explained something to someone and they tell me that it was, that I explained it in a way that made it so much easier for them to understand because social security by nature can be complicated. And so it's always my goal to be able to relate information that, that might be very difficult for some people to understand, but explain it in light terms.
1: Well, you kind of took my next question was, what do you love about your job, which which is really great. <laughs> (laughs) But I want to say that you know what what's really interesting about what you just said was and it just kind of came to me this way was obviously when you're talking to people as the claim specialists at that point a lot of times it's at your most fragile. Or at your most kind of sensitive points in your lives, right? As, hey, um, you know, maybe I just became disabled and now I, I, my whole world is changing and I'm trying to figure out what this new new world looks like, or I'm going to retire. I've worked my whole life and now I'm changing to not working or working less and I'm claiming so, so that there's a lot of worry nerves there, or I lost my spouse. Yeah. All those times, these are very heightened, very emotional times for people and and of course, you know, having somebody there to go not only I know how to help you, but I also can sympathize with your situation mm-hmm. and help you get through that too is is really important. So I I can see where that was really a good match for you, Libby, there in terms yeah, of your personality to to what you're achieving there. Yeah. But I, I really want to dig into a lot of social security things here because there's so much <laughs> there's really to unpack. Of- <laughs> So if you're listening to this show, we're going to pepper Libby here with lots of different questions because I, I know everybody <laughs> yeah. has tons of questions. When, And not only just if you have gone through the claiming process already, if you're already in retirement, there's other things that, you know, in the future that you might need to be in, interacting with Social Security about. So I want to ask about the whole spectrum of experiences here. So I'd love to just start with this question. So I really want to dig into the experience of claiming Social Security, right? Because I think that's one thing if they never really interacted with, with the Social Security office before, what do I do? Where do I go? So that's the first question is when should someone reach out to the Social Security Administration to discuss discuss claiming their retirement Social Security benefits?
2: Sure, that's a great question. So the the earliest point at which someone can claim their benefit is three months ahead of the date that they want their benefits to begin. That's the earliest point at which our computers can handle such a transaction. It doesn't mean that you have to do it three months ahead of the time. Some people might decide to retire, you know, maybe a month before, but any time in that three month period before the date they want their benefits to begin is sufficient.
1: Nice. So. Now we know when. So here's the how. So all right. So I want to go schedule an appointment with someone at Social Security Administration. Mm -hmm. How do I go about scheduling an appointment?
2: Sure. So we have nine district offices that serve the state of Maine, and so you you can call your local office to schedule an appointment to speak with someone ahead of time. So you know if you call in the end of March, and we can't see you until April sometime, we would still consider March to be your filing date, if that's what you wish. But we do protect that original point of contact. And so you can just call ahead and schedule an appointment, and we'd be happy to call you back. Um, and we can do most everything over the telephone.
1: Okay, because that was going to be another question here is, you know, how many times do you sit down with people and they go, I'm going to go visit Social Security, I'm going to go there. And I, that was really the question was, because we hear so many people say, hey, I'm going to have a meeting with a person at at my local office. And as you said, there's nine offices across across the state here, which is great, which means you can, there's at least an office generally locally enough available to most people in the state. Mm -hmm. So, so in terms of obviously we're we're recording during pandemic times here and hearing from, I think the, I I guess the perception is that most people were saying, I want to go visit in person and sit down. Mm -hmm. So how do how can people conduct meetings you mentioned telephone but is there other ways that people can connect with you and have those sessions
2: sure so we do offer online appointments so for the person who's comfortable filing an application online It can absolutely utilize our online services to do that. Some people might be a little bit nervous about doing that, but rest assured that every single application that is submitted online is reviewed by a claim specialist. They look at everything, make sure that they address any questions or discrepancies. They'll recontact you um, to make sure that the claim is processed smoothly. For those people that still want to talk to somebody, at this point in time, because our offices are closed to foot traffic, the only option to communicate with us would be over the telephone. But when we're not in a pandemic, we do see people face-to-face. But even prior to a uh, pandemic, telephone appointments was a very popular option because, you know, geographically, we were talking about Maine earlier about how big and vast mm-hmm. it is. So like the, the city of Calais, for example, they're part of the Bangor district. But, you know, to, to go into the Bangor office from Calais would require mm-hmm. a four-hour round trip um, okay. for something that can very likely be done over the telephone. So you know, we we absolutely are happy to see people in our offices when our doors are open physically, but we certainly encourage people to utilize the phone option as well. It's something that we've done before COVID. And I I suspect it's something that we'll continue to do um, even once we are reopened to the public physically.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, and and again, also from a a phone option might also be more convenient for more parties, right? Is Sometimes there might be, hey, you know, I'm not really the financial person and I, you know, sometimes numbers uh, are not my thing. So maybe I need a A spouse or maybe I need a another advocate here to come in and help me so it's helpful too but I think from a phone perspective is maybe on speakerphone listen to it together and have those conversations where maybe multiple people are listening to what's being said and and interpreting that I want to ask about When do social security payments start? So say, for example, I turn 62 in April and I want to claim. Do payments really start the month in which I turn 62 or do they start in the year I turn 62? I guess that that was a question which we get a lot.
2: Okay. So yeah, um, so the the payments begin as of the first month, you are 62 the entire month. So if your birthday is in April, um, your payments actually wouldn't, you wouldn't be eligible for payment until May, because you have to be 62 that entire month. And then our benefits are always paid the following month. So your first month of entitlement would be May, and it would be paid in the month of June. So that's when you'd be able to expect your first payment.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So- Okay. So that, that's, I think that's really important. And I know we use the example of 62, just that was the, of course, the first year which you ter- could uh, file. So, mm-hmm. but the, again, the next question here is uh, we hear, of course, every year I wait to claim social security,
3: mm-hmm. I
1: can earn an increased benefit. So does that increased benefit actually increase upon my birthday or by the year again? So if, again, if I turn, say that let's use the same example, I turn 62 in April, mm-hmm. if I waited till I turn 63 mm-hmm. and the same kind of concept is when does the actual increase get applied? I guess sure. is the question.
2: No, oh, that's a good question. Um, so you're, you actually don't have to wait until the month of your birthday to claim your benefits. So if you decide as of April, the month that you turn 62, if you think... Oh, I missed it. I don't want to do it at age 62. I'll wait a little bit. You don't have to wait until the following April when you reach age 63. You could do it any month after that point in time. Your benefit increase actually takes place for every month that you get closer to your full retirement age benefit. Mm-hmm. So at age 62, um, so we'll we'll use um, 66 as a full retirement age for yep. for all intents and purposes. For someone whose full retirement age is 66 years old, um, they can get 100% of their benefit at that point in time if they decide to take it at 66, 62, they're going to get a 25% reduction. Um, if they wait until age 63, it'll be about a 20% reduction. But for every month in between that, it does go up just a little bit.
1: Gotcha. So because well, that's important to know, because I think there's a little bit of fear about, hey, I I got to wait to a certain period. And what what if I waited 11 months into it, and I claimed maybe one month too early, and then I would have missed out on the this- And maybe shot myself in the foot. So that's that's a really good thing. I wanted to clear up as a little bit misconception we've heard from uh, from our clients too. So, yeah, I think that's that's something where uh, we want to make sure it was cleared up.
4: Um, so another thing that we see pretty often, right, is where one spouse is the primary wage earner throughout their lifetime. Um, and so how do spousal benefits work, right? This is a very common question we get a lot. And so what are some of the popular claiming strategies with spousal benefit, too?
2: Sure. So... Yeah. So spouse benefits are made available to um, a member of a married couple who either has not um, had the opportunity to work outside the home a lot or, or just, mm-hmm. you know, did something else, for, took care of children is a lot of the time what we see. And so anytime someone files a claim for Social Security benefits, we always ask about current and previous marriages um, mm-hmm. or divorces uh, because we want to make sure we're not missing any entitlement. And so a spouse is eligible for a benefit from their um, higher wage earning spouse mm-hmm. as long as their own full retirement age benefit is less than half of that of their higher wage earning spouse. And so when I speak to people, I like to give it um, a couple of examples because it's easier to understand. So, so in the case that my, my full retirement age benefit is Mm $1,000 and I'm married to somebody whose own full retirement age benefit is $300. um, Mm -hmm. What would happen is when my spouse files an application, they would first get that $300 on their own, mm-hmm. plus two hundred additional dollars to get that half maximum, because it does have to be a combined benefit. You take what you can get from your own first mm-hmm. and then get that 200 additional to get the $500 half of mine. Um, it does not take away anything from me as the worker. Um, it's above and beyond what we pay into Social Security. In another scenario, if my full retirement age is... Uh, my full retirement age benefit is one thousand dollars, and I'm married to somebody whose own full retirement age benefit is eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, they would not be eligible for a spouse's benefit at all, only because their own benefit exceeds ha- exceeds half of mine. So okay, so, that's great,
1: L- Libby. I- I'd like to ask just a follow up to that. So mm-hmm. all right, so spousal benefit. They use that example of a thousand and. 500, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if say the spouse is, uh, uh got a $300 benefit on their own, mm-hmm. but do they, can they claim a spousal benefit if the, that spouse that's going to earn a thousand dollars a month, if they haven't claimed yet, do they have to cl- claim first? I guess is the Correct. question.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great distinction. So yeah. yes, in order to qualify for a spouse's benefit, that worker would have had to established. um uh, payment on their own record in order to qualify for, for a currently married spouse. Yes.
1: Because because that, that that's obviously in terms of there's complications there when you have spouses of different ages, right? Is mm-hmm. if maybe the higher earning spouse or maybe the the spouse that has a higher projected social security benefit is younger,
3: mm-hmm. then
1: what you might have is the, the spouse of the lower uh, social security benefit might have to wait longer for that higher spousal benefit to come to them essentially for them to right. be able to claim it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that trade-off of – because could they claim on their own, I guess, and then – claim again based on their spousal benefit when they become eligible
2: they can yes yeah. so if they decide if they are eligible for something on their own they could qualify for their own if they decide to take it early um, it is going to be a reduced benefit and then once the higher earning spouse files their claim um, we would then follow up with the application for that spouse to take the benefit as well um, it will be reduced because they initially decided to take a reduced benefit so the maximum right. you can get is is half of the higher wage earning spouse's full retirement age benefit but other Otherwise, yeah, they can absolutely take it uh, beforehand.
3: Love it. So I want to keep going um, on this idea with the spousal uh, benefit. So a situation we uh, see and, and talk a lot about is someone who's remarried. Uh, And they're, you know, interested in their current spouse being eligible to, you know, to receive their Social Mm -hmm. Security benefit. Mm -hmm. But they're also, you know, how does that apply with the ex-spouse as well? And then, you know, are there certain conditions that, you know, distinct or distinguish, you know, which spouse would get it? And, you know, I think a a specific example we're thinking about, we actually met with uh, an individual who had been married five times. And there was a lot of concern in that conversation of who of his spouses or ex-spouses was going to be eligible or what conditions had to be met. Um, So if you could just kind of talk about that a little bit, that would be great.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Social Security does pay a divorce spouse benefit. Um, A couple of things have to be true for for that to take place. Um, One, there is a duration of marriage requirement. So Mm. in order for a divorced spouse to collect a benefit from a former spouse, um, they need to have at least been married for 10 years. Mm. Okay. so um, if in, you know, in the case that, you know, the the person you were speaking with had, you know, one of the ex spouses, they were only married three years, they wouldn't be entitled to a benefit at all. So that would make it to to four. (laughs) But anyhow, and then the other thing is that the spouse has to remain unmarried in order to collect. So the the divorced Mm -hmm. spouse, so the lower wage earning spouse who's qualifying for the higher wage earner spouse, they would have to remain unmarried. So if that person later remarries, they would not qualify for a benefit from that first higher wage earning spouse think i said that
1: right. yeah. <laughs> no that makes sense yeah and, and yeah. I, n- I know we went we really complicated there yeah. yeah yeah
2: so um, but 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 yeah so for for but survive for for divorced spouses yes um it, the As a general rule, yes, divorced spouses can qualify for a benefit. Of course, every situation is unique. There's a maximum of family benefits payable on every record, generally about 150 to 180% of the the workers' full retirement age benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of like pieces of a pie. So you've you've got to pay the the wage earner, Mm -hmm. um, but then there's some left over to pay any of the additional family members that would qualify. And so, you know, obviously the more people that you have, the the less amount there's going to be paid to to those people
1: gotcha. so question there libby is okay so i, I just want to go in a scenario just to kind of because yeah. i, I want to kind of give a little real life example to what you're saying okay so so say this person the, let's use the example this person got married five times and one of them was for only three years so there's mm-hmm. four people there potentially so say each of them so each of them were married for 10 years each to this person mm-hmm So they all would possibly have a claim to a spousal benefit if they did not get remarried themselves.
2: Correct. That's absolutely correct. The, The possibility of that, yes.
1: Yes. So is there a, like, first to file thing here? Because you, as you said, there's a pie, there's a pie of, mm-hmm. say, 180% of benefit available. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first one, the maybe the one of the earlier marriages is older than the others. Mm-hmm. So they maybe become eligible first, they claim spousal benefits earlier than others Mm -hmm. so but would that diminish the benefits for the other three or for other ones eventually that come down the road and later claim
2: right so there there would always have to be they, they would always have to adjust for however many people are on the record. And so if one person decides to take a benefit and then um, another former spouse comes on board to to take the benefit, we would then have to just a, adjust as necessary. So if there's not enough to pay the, the, for the same amount of money, then, then adjustments have to be made. And so we would then just notify the first person, like somebody else filed an application, um, your benefit's now going to be reduced to X amount of dollars and da, 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 da. Um, gotcha. We're not allowed to reveal, you know, contact information or anything like that. Not even to the 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 worker, the number holder. Um, they're allowed to know that somebody's claiming a benefit on their record, um, but we're not allowed to provide um, personally identifiable information to the worker just just to protect privacy.
1: I just know that that's a really
3: weird example we gave, but <laughs> yeah. but I I just
1: wanted to kind of go through that
3: real quick and mm-hmm. I just want to stay on it now at this point cuz we're in deep with this one um so say in this example would that affect the idea of having to adjust the uh spousal benefits for various ex-spouses how mm-hmm. does that affect say the current his current spouse like with his current spouse is there any sort of i don't know priorities the right word there like or would um- that
2: not, not necessarily, okay. because we can't. Social Security can't really tell anybody when to file their application. We can't, right. um, you know, if a former spouse comes on because um, they're eligible for a benefit, and current spouse is either still working or not interested in filing an application for a gotcha. benefit, we can't really, gotcha. we can't yeah. really do anything about that. Okay,
1: that
3: was. Yeah. I,
1: I know that was that was a that was a rabbit hole <laughs> we went down, but I. I mean, I,
2: the thing is, with with when it comes to spouses and ex-spouses, um, there's really no one size fits all. You know, each situation is going to be very unique depending on the age of the person or the people filing. The, uh, you know, the the, whether or not they were had the number of years married mm-hmm. duration of marriage we have to prove the marriage with the marriage certificate and the divorce decree so there's a lot that goes into you know uh processing one of those claims and i've done it i you know we we've, mm-hmm. you know we've all had to do it but it's but there's a lot to it and they're all they're all unique so
1: yeah and because I, I think from our end libby is uh, i think what we've heard now that you've explained it, it, obviously is a misconception, is that, look, my current spouse better file because we don't want the ex-spouse to get the money of the spousal benefit. They think it's binary of mm-hmm. that only one of them can get a spousal benefit. So let's just hurry up and get this done as quickly as possible so the other person doesn't get that benefit because of course right. we don't like them anymore. So there's some of that stuff going on.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah. you explaining that I think helps this a lot of, hey, you know, there's a lot of scenarios which still entitle you to benefits. You know, there's obviously things you can't control, like your age and when you're eligible that wouldn't preclude you from still getting a benefit.
2: Correct. Yeah, and it's 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 not a race, um, you know, um, and it's it's really it really is dependent on how many people are filing an application on that one record. You know, the more people that you have, you can still get a benefit. It might not be as much as what you would like to get, but they have to pay it equally that way.
1: So, Libby, I want to talk about again. So, you're talking about filing on a person's record, mm-hmm. and I think what what a lot of people maybe don't know about is that Social Security can also benefit children as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so can you tell us about what scenarios would lead a child to receive Social Security benefits?
2: Sure. Yeah. So a child could qualify for a Social Security benefit from a parent if the parent is receiving a retirement benefit or a disability benefit or if their parent has deceased. So um, if that child is a minor, they can qualify for up to 50 percent of the living parents benefit um, and up to 75 percent of a uh, deceased parents benefit. And so it's, it's similar to the, the marriage question. There's a maximum of family benefits that are payable. So in the case that I am getting a $1,000 benefit um, for my own full retirement age benefit, and I've got um, two kids and I've got $500 payable because the most that they can get is 50%. If I have two kids, each of the two children would receive $250 per month. And then what would happen is when my older child turns 18 years old, my younger child would then get the full $500 until they reach the age of 18 years old.
1: Got it. So I guess the question is, so is, is the age of 18 kind of that magic number for when they would stop receiving benefits? Is there anything else that would kind of come into that equation for when they could stop receiving?
2: Sure, yeah. So um, they you get, you get a notice telling you that your benefits are going to stop at 18 um, unless you're a full-time high school student. And so then we can extend payments called student benefits. Another scenario is if the 18-year-old individual is disabled, they can file an application for what's called um, childhood disability benefits on the record of that parent. And so what we would do then is we would take an application to see if they meet the rules for social security disability. And if they are found to be disabled between the ages of 18 and 22, they can receive that benefit from their parents indefinitely. doesn't mean that the benefits are going to stop at age 22. It just means that they have to be found disabled during that prescribed period of time, but they could also qualify for that benefit beyond age 18 um, if they meet the disability requirements. Um, So this
4: is another one that we hear a lot is how the main um, employee retirement system or main purse and Social Security interact. And so can you I'm sure you guys get this question all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. So can you go over how the two systems work together, you know, if somebody works, you know, and as a teacher for some time and pays into that system, and then they they go into the private sector and pay into Social Security,
2: you know, do they offset each other or kind of how does that work? So... Your Social Security benefits are calculated by quarters of um, coverage. And mm-hmm. so that's basically um, the increment of how much you pay in Social Security taxes. And you can earn four of those per year. And um, as long as somebody has earned 40 in their lifetime or 10 years of work, they will qualify for a benefit. And that does include um, teachers and people that have paid into Maine Public Employees Retirement System. Okay. They might not get as much as they thought they were going to get because of windfall elimination provision, which I'll explain in a moment. But they will qualify for a benefit. So that's one misconception is that you, you don't qualify for any Social Security if you've, you know, if you've got that main Public Employees Retirement Pension. But the, the way that it works is that a lot of uh, the main Public Employees Retirement folks, they've either, like you said before, they've either worked in private employment and paid Social Security taxes before their state employment, after, even sometimes concurrently, we'll see teachers that have worked in summer jobs. Yep. And so the more that they've worked and paid into Social Security, um, the higher their benefit is likely. To be. What happens is that people whose primary job is not covered by Social Security and by a different system entirely social security system is not doesn't have the capability to recognize that they're paying into a different system entirely Mm -hmm. and so the way that the social security payments computation is structured is that um, someone who's been a higher wage earner throughout their lifetime they're going to get a lower rate of return than someone who's been a lower wage earner throughout their lifetime they're going to get a higher rate of return Mm -hmm. so for those teachers that maybe used to get their statements from social security when we still did paper statements (laughs) and they saw all those um, zero 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 zeros that's doesn't mean that they didn't earn money. It just means that they didn't pay Social Security taxes on those earnings. Mm-hmm. However, when Social Security looks at that, they're like, they, the way that they see it is though they've been a lower wage earner, therefore they're going to get a higher rate of return. Mm-hmm. So back in 1983, Uh, the windfall elimination provision was signed into law to help counter that advantage of people having that higher rate of return from Social Security while still collecting their state pension. And so uh, what the windfall elimination provision does is that will reduce someone's Social Security benefit based on their coverage of that or based on their entitlement to that non-covered pension. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how much, um, how many years of substantial coverage you have under Social Security, your benefit will be higher. But if you have less than 20 Years of coverage under Social Security, it's going to be reduced quite a bit. But we have calculators online that can help you get a more accurate depiction or estimate about what your own Social Security benefit would be if if you happen to be one of those people.
4: Okay, yeah, that was my next question: is how does somebody make a decision or figure out you know what they're going to get from their state pension plan and from Social Security? Um, and you know, probably talking to you both is the best way to do it, or those online calculators.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a really good, good idea. Because when you get your statement in the mail, or or now we already have that at our fingertips. If you create a My Social Security account online, you have all of that information right in front of you. But Social Security still doesn't know that some of those folks have paid into a different system. So the number that they get for their estimate isn't necessarily going to be accurate. And Mm -hmm. so that's why um, it is kind of neat that it's interactive because you can plug numbers into our online windfall elimination provision calculator that will help you prepare yourself for what you can actually expect from Social Security. And then yes, absolutely talking to main public employees and see how much you're going to get from them to to make your best decision. Social Security will not reduce your benefit it unless and until you begin receiving that pension okay. so even if you're if you're eligible for it but you're not yet receiving it you can still get your full social security um it's just incumbent upon you to to report to us once you begin receiving that pension so we can make any accurate um make any necessary adjustments interesting
1: libby is there is there an ability uh, essentially i'm just thinking about portability here so say i have eight years of of uh, Of paying into emperors right so i paid into the that that system that pension benefit system but the rest of my career maybe it was another 32 years i paid into social security so really i i have very minimal benefit on a pension side Mm -hmm. is there is there portability between the two that i could kind of convert a benefit from maybe a social security benefit into the public state pension or take the state pension amount and convert those into social security credits can i do those back and forth
2: No. Uh, What some people decide to do is they decide to take their state pension and roll it into an IRA or they'll... they'll they'll do, there's, there's lots of different things that they could do, but you can't convert it over to social security taxable wages, because you didn't actually pay social security taxes on those wages at the time.
1: Gotcha. So essentially, what you could do is, again, if you can, if there's other ways to receive those funds, that might might change the calculation on the windfall uh, provision is what you're saying?
2: It may. Um, There's, yeah, there's lots of different ways that people can Take their pension, either in a lump sum or or whatever. And so we you know we have to look at each of those on their own and make that determination. But yeah, there have been circumstances where they've been able to eliminate the windfall provision.
3: I want to rotate back to uh, the spouse uh, spousal benefits here for a second. So the idea is, so say a spouse who's receiving a spousal benefit, the original or the the higher earning spouse passes away. I want to talk about what happens to, if uh, any changes at all, to that spouse's benefit, the surviving spouse's benefit, and I'll kind of start there, and then I'll, I have more questions after.
2: Sure, okay, yeah. So right when, when a member of a married couple passes away, what happens is Social Security will pay that survivor the higher of the two benefits that were received in the household. Mm. Um, so if, if the person who passed away was the one that was receiving the lower benefit, we're not going to disadvantage them and pay them the lower one. So they'll continue to get that the, the higher benefit of the two. You know, it, it makes a difference because it, it's going from two Social Security payments um, in a household to one, mm-hmm. um, but we do give them the advantage of having that higher payment um, to the survivor.
3: Gotcha. And then fast forwarding from there, what happens when that then survivor passes away? I know obviously the the benefit will stop, Mm -hmm. but how do, say, heirs or next of kin kind of communicate with Social Security to kind of notify of that death? And then kind of furthermore, what happens if they don't and say they keep receiving Social Security benefits uh, that they're not really entitled to at that point?
2: Sure. Yeah. So you know, once once somebody does pass away, if if they have an adult child or or close family friend or or, or somebody, they they can absolutely contact um, their local office to to report that somebody's passed away. Mm-hmm. State of Maine does implement something called electronic death registration, in which um, the state's Bureau of Vital Statistics electronically communicates with Social Security. So we we generally find out that somebody's passed away mm-hmm. before before the loved one has you know made a call to us, and then even other field offices, they have relationships with local funeral homes. And so what will happen is when the funeral home staff are meeting with the loved ones, making the arrangements, they can fill out a form with a survivor um, that they then send to the local office. And it gives us a lead to contact that survivor um, to screen for any potential eligibility. So there's a lot in place that doesn't make it incumbent upon the the survivors or the family to to let us know. Uh, But there are cases in which sometimes um, payments will continue after after someone's passed away. And in the case that that happens, once we do find out they've passed away, Social Security will send a letter to the estate requesting uh, repayment of any overpaid benefits.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. I'd like to ask Libby, um, a a topic we are hearing more and more on is fraud, right? And elder abuse and Mm -hmm. things like that. So obviously there's a lot of fear, especially as we're getting older anyway, about our finances and kind of what's happening uh, as well. So I'd love to just get into a little bit more about how can folks really protect themselves from someone defrauding their social security benefit? And that might be from a claiming side that, Hey, somebody poses as me and that they claim on my benefit or that there's benefits coming to me and they get um, fraudulently received somehow. So how can somebody protect themselves there?
2: Yep. So um, social security is committed to preventing and detecting and and stopping fraud. It's, Obviously a very difficult feat um, when there's new scams popping up every single day. We get um, the people that um, have have spoofed social security's legitimate telephone numbers and and started calling people and targeting them and social Security, rarely will contact someone out of the blue um, via telephone without, you know, a, a notice ahead of time to let them know of an appointment. We've seen some where you get the robocalls saying that your social security number has been suspended. That's mm-hmm. not a thing. Um, that's, that's happened to me and um, they, it's, it's not real. So um, it's, it's incredibly difficult to keep on top of all of the scams because it seems to be new ones every day. The number one thing that we can tell people to safeguard against fraud is to create that online my social security account. And it may seem counterintuitive, putting your information online um, when you're trying to prevent fraud, but not putting your information online does not preclude you from becoming a target of of fraud and identity theft. And so what social security has found is if you create that account legitimately, your social security number is no longer left susceptible to a fraudster trying to create a false one in your name. The other thing that social security does is our um, office of inspector general has its own fraud hotline. So Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who's been targeted by fraud with Social Security, you can call the hotline. And I can give it to you. It's 1-800-269-0271. And then also if you visit oig.ssa.gov, there is an online report that you can submit so you can kind of um, free write everything that happened, who, what, when, where, and that'll um, be investigated by our Office of Inspector General. So we we try to keep on top of it. We try to help uh, mitigate the fraud as much as we can.
1: And, and Libby, we'll, uh, for, and for those listening in, we'll put those, uh, those links in our show notes oh, great. Thank you. so that, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of section that underneath the, the financial abuse side and report financial abuse. So we'll have that there. So if, if you know, obviously you want to li- keep listening here, keep going, but, uh, for those, just go to the show notes. We'll have it there and you can click on the link and, um, and, uh, check those links out. Great.
4: So when we are doing financial plans for people, we often hear this statement that Social Security won't be available when I retire, right? <laughs> and so it seems that that's becoming, you know, more and more prevalent, especially for younger people, right, if they're doing financial plans in their 30s and 40s. Um, so is there a risk that Social Security, you know, won't be there when younger people who are working and paying in on their record now will be there when they hit their full
2: retirement age? And what would you tell people about that assumption? Sure. So, you know, of course, I can't 100% say that, you know, Social Security is going to be there for everybody (laughs) because I can't tell the future. Um, But what I can tell you is that Social Security's most recent trustees report stated that um, Social Security will be able to pay all benefits on time and in full until 2035. And so uh, what that means is that, you know, the trust funds have reached uh, the brink of asset depletion before, but Congress has always made changes to help preserve the solvency of the program um, in the past and so basically what this means is that if congress does not act before 2035 um, then social security will only be able to fund 79 cents for every scheduled dollar of benefits payable realistically that's never happened congress has always taken some measure to help uh, prevent depletion as i was telling you before back in 1983 there were changes made for the windfall elimination provision also during those amendments they had changes to slowly raise the retirement. Age, uh, But that didn't begin until the year 2000. So those retirees back in 1983, it wasn't affecting them, it would only affect people in the future. So what I would tell people, again, is that I cannot predict the future, but it really is up to Congress to make decisions about how to preserve Social Security. Um, and they've, they've always done it.
1: So Libby, I really like the example you gave because you were saying essentially 1983 they were making the change as as of 2000. So it wasn't like it was, hey, next year we're making this change and right. all of a sudden we're moving the goalpost. You're going to be 62 and all of a sudden it turned out to be you had to claim at 70 or something, and now right. my work my work plans went all the way out the window because yep. Social Security wasn't going to be available. So it, so what what I hear you say obviously. We're not looking the future, but looking yeah. backwards when there's been changes made, that there's been enough kind of leeway that it hasn't been a surprise to somebody that, hey, I'm 61 today. I am thinking about what my retirement decision is, what my social security decision is, when to take it.
3: Oh, and that
1: I should take 62 because in eight years, I don't know what's going to happen. And more than likely, I won't be able to move. I won't be able to take any at that point, And mm-hmm. then I can't claim till 75. So is that something... So that's what I hear you say from a past experience is that the changes have been so far in the future that it's not really impacted those at that moment making that decision.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Social Security is not in the business of um, financial advising that that's that's up to people like Mm -hmm. yourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we can do is present the information. And as you said before, just giving a historical picture, um, see what's been done in the past, you know, Social Security started as just a means to replace a portion of someone's wages for retirement. And since then, it's expanded to include disability, um, survivors, Medicare. So it it looks a lot different now than it did then. And so in the future, it could look different. But but people need to make their decisions with the information that they have at their hands. Mm
3: I have kind of a a general question, Libby. You know, sitting where you're sitting in the experiences that or situations that you've seen in your experience at Social Security Administration, um, are there some questions that you just you wish people would ask of people like yourself that maybe they typically don't know to ask when they're getting ready to to start the process of claiming Social Security or whatnot?
2: Sure. So one thing one thing that we didn't really touch on we we talked a little bit about receiving benefits early reduced retirement so in addition to taking a benefit early Um, You're not only agreeing to receiving a permanently reduced benefit, but there's also a restriction on how much you can earn while you're still collecting benefits. So working while you're receiving benefits that can have an impact on how much you'll get. Mm -hmm. So this year in 2021, that um, annual earnings test limit is $18,960 for the year. Um, So it's not very high. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for folks that are coming into our offices, if they're 62, 63, if they're coming in and they say, you know, I've, you know, Last year, I earned $50,000. This year, I'm really reducing my earnings, and I'm only going to earn $25,000. That is a huge personal reduction for their own Mm -hmm. wages. Uh, But that still exceeds the, the earnings limit for Social Security. And so when you do exceed it, you have to pay $1 for every two in excess of that limit. And so... I guess, maybe not so much a question, but something um, to be prepared about. If you are planning to take your benefits early, you want to have a pretty good idea about what your plans are for work. Because if you plan to earn more than the the earnings limit, it may not behoove you to take the benefit when you you think you want to.
1: Maybe even in another scenario is those that look to do an early retirement, receive Social Security Benefit 62, and they think that they're in good shape, right? Mm -hmm. They think things look great. And for whatever reason, things don't, work out the way they thought. Mm-hmm. And they go, you know, I do have to go back to work because mm-hmm. there's 40 other reasons that preclude yeah. me to go back to work. But now you've claimed social security and there's this earnings test that's happening. So that's also something here that's that's going on, right? Is it you, you should kind of be thoughtful or, be, have, or, or start thinking with a little more foresight about, again, downside scenarios, what could happen there and mm-hmm. making sure about uh, your certainty about when you claim, right?
2: For sure, yeah. I mean, y- you wanna, you want to you want to be prepared in all scenarios. You know, not nobody can prepare for for everything, but you want to have a pretty good idea about what what your plans are for the for the future. Um, you know, in the case that somebody um, thinks that they're going to be able, be able to remain under the limit, and then they perhaps they get an opportunity that they can't turn down, mm-hmm. um, they can absolutely contact Social Security, let us know. Look, I I actually am going to be working. This is how much I'm going to be earning. We can suspend benefits so that the person does not get overpaid. So if we know ahead of time, we can make mm-hmm. sure that they don't get overpaid. And then the next year, we'll follow up with them to see how much they're going to earn, see if we can resume the benefits. So there are ways to help the person. But ultimately, yeah, you want to have a pretty good idea about what what your plans are when you when you take that step and file the application.
1: And Libby, can you go just one step further? Because one thing I, I think maybe, or in my experience, people don't know about is the earnings test and how that might change in the full year of retirement for you in Social Security. So Because I know there's a graduation here that happens. Can you talk about about that until the, that full year of retirement to then post full year of retirement with the earnings yeah. tests, what changes there?
2: So again, that earnings test is $18,960 for anybody who's under the year they reach their full retirement age. Now, the year that you reach the full retirement age, that earnings limit does go up for all of the months before which you turn your full retirement age. So that earnings limit uh, for this year is $50,520. So uh, my full retirement age is 67 years old, and my birthday's in October. So if I didn't want to wait until October to file an application and I wanted to take my benefits now in March, I could do that. I would just have to be mindful of my earnings from March through September to make sure that they don't exceed the the earnings limit. And then, as of October first, even though my birthday's not until the middle of the month, I would be considered my full retirement age. At which point, there's no longer um, an annual earnings test. You can earn as much as you want and have no adverse effect to your Social Security.
1: Right. So essentially, I could be earning my full Social Security benefit and earn as much as I wanted at that point without impacting that kind of Social Security benefit at all. Correct. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think that that's a really important, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Livy, because I think that that comes up quite a bit about... Mm-hmm working plans retirement plans how do these things to they because they they conflict at times and well i want to make sure i get my social security benefit but i as you said i got a another opportunity where i was going to make more than i thought and this mm-hmm. is actually going to be a fun opportunity but it's mm-hmm. going to be more than the earnings test and what do i yeah. do that that's a really big thing so i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up was there anything else that you thought was was something that again people should be bringing up or we should bring up around social security benefits Benefits and claiming that, that maybe they don't typically ask.
2: Maybe social security touches, we, we can enroll people in Medicare, parts A and B, but social security and Medicare, even though we're always married together, we are two separate agencies. And so while well, social security um, will take an application for your A and your B, There's a lot of supplements, there's the Advantage Plans, there's the Medicare Part D, Um, there's a lot of private health insurance companies that will, they contract with Medicare to administer those different programs. Social Security cannot endorse any one over another, um, just because we're government. And so we will recommend people go to their local agency on aging, there's five of them in the state of Maine, they're fantastic, they have federal grants to help them, they're not looking to make any money for any specific insurance companies. So they're a wonderful resource of unbiased information that we often refer people to when they have questions about Medicare, because it's, it can be confusing Medicare and Social Security, they're, you know, always married together, and we we do a portion of it, but there's a lot that's left to be, under you know, that I, that I don't know because my background is in social security, not Medicare. Sure.
1: Yeah. Libby. And I really love that. Cause um, you know, from our end and going back uh, to some of the earlier shows that we did, uh, we actually had Diane Walsh, who's the executive director for the Eastern area agency on yeah. aging. And she did a fantastic job just going through their program. So obviously that's the, it, from our perspective, the the really the two agencies really got to go visit is really go talk to social security, really iron down what your, that earnings is is going to be from social security, but then going, talking from our end, going to an area agency and aging is really key because they have a really great program. Again, all of them across the state are really awesome, but they do a really great job counseling and walking through all the Medicare options. What's available to yeah. you? What do you, what's, what's um, again, all the programs, the differences and which one would be the best for you in your situation. So those are yeah. two key conversations, which is why I guess we're a little remissive. We should have had you on and like episode four instead <laughs> of episode forty, but that from you're you know you're right on because those are two key visits that everybody that um,
3: especially in Maine should be yeah. should be doing. So appreciate you you plugging that too.
2: Yeah, they're fantastic.
3: So Libby, we have reached uh, the final question of this episode Um, it's a big one so as we're here on the uh, retirement success in Maine podcast um, we'd like to ask all of our guests what is your personal definition of retirement success
2: personal okay Uh, (laughs) so Sticking with social security, I would say that you want to make sure you have your online My Social Security account. Because even though I'm 20 some odd years away from retirement, (laughs) social security makes up approximately 40% of your pre-retirement income. It's never too early to start planning for that. Once I do retire, I think success for me would be having everything I need, some of the things that I want, (laughs) the ability to travel. Uh, to be surrounded by all of my favorite people and always to have pets around me. Those, those that. are successful goals for me. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Those are some key ingredients right there. Well, well, Libby, really appreciate all of your expertise you're sharing with us today. You know, for us, this is a a linchpin show that I I think with all the conversations we have with our clients, uh, we'll serve them of all these trade-offs, all these things to consider. But also, I, I think probably the biggest thing that we accomplished today is, Libby, I think you're just a really awesome person to represent Social Security here to really give this um you know i I think sometimes we we view government as kind of being the big big, bad thing and you know Mm -hmm. you being so warm so gracious with your time today i think that really does a really great service so we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and hope to have you again sometime
2: no it's my pleasure i'd love to come back thank you all all. thank you
1: take care so really great to have Libby Newport on the show today again, Social Security Administration someone just not just kind of a have a show where we're just talking social security, but we just wanted to have the show that wasn't just what's going to happen when this happens and, you know, it, it just put you to sleep. Right. And I thought Libby did a really great job, just bringing energy, you know, really answering uh, the questions in a really relatable way and covering as again, we, social security is so complex. We obviously couldn't cover this and probably an eight hour show, uh, but we wanted to get a, give a flavor of a few things for, for you today. And again, kind of have some, have some lessons and some takeaways from something we can, we can, take away from social security. Mm-hmm. So with that, we always like to wrap up our shows with, uh, with some lessons that we personally um, uh, got out of today. So I'd like to maybe start with Abby. Uh, what was something that you took away from our conversation with Libby about social security?
4: Yeah, I really liked how we were talking about main purse and how that may offset your social security benefit. Um, it's a question that I know we get asked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought her conversation around it was really helpful. And, you know, the biggest takeaway really is talk to both your state pension plan and social security so that you can figure out that windfall difference and how that's going to affect your retirement income from both of them. And so I just thought it was helpful for everyone to hear. And certainly I'm sure we could go more in depth on it, but she did a great job explaining it and breaking down what can be a fairly complicated situation for people.
1: Uh, And I thought she did a really great job explaining maybe a misconception that somebody could make if they're looking at their uh, myssa.gov portal Mm -hmm. and seeing, hey, but even though my at a zero kind of wage in this year, that it actually still calculates maybe like I have a higher benefit because it's not really taken into that windfall provision. So right. it, I think that you could fall into a trap of estimating something that's maybe larger than possibly what it actually is when it gets to retirement. So I think you're exactly right. Being able to work yep. the two and combine them in a way that you can take into account all those provisions and exceptions and things like that. I thought she did an awesome right. job on that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis, from your end, what, did, uh, what was something that you took away from Libby's talk us
3: today. A piece that that really stuck out to me, I think it's important to talk about again, is is the idea of spousal benefits. Um, You know, Libby, you know, I know we kind of went down a rabbit hole there with a lot of different scenarios, but it's true. There are so many different things that can affect the spousal benefit. And I think Libby did a really good job kind of laying out different scenarios and how they could affect or not affect, you know, current spouse or ex-spouse or any of that. So I felt that that was a really important piece of the conversation.
1: Yeah. And I think that the important point that that highlights, right, is, hey, all of us have different things that have happened to us in our lives, right? And there's lots of things get that can impact. Um, I might be a teacher, I might be, you know, I might have spouses, or I might have been divorced, uh, all those things are really impactful to you social scared to benefit. Mm-hmm. So having that, will I sit down with them, or I have a zoom with them, or whatever I do, or phone call even, mm-hmm. and just talk through, here's what's going on, here's the situations, what does this mean, and then get the real answers directly to you and your personal situation, I think was, I think a really good, yeah. I know we went down, what if, what if this, <laughs> and what if this scenario, yeah. which is great that, you know, just understanding a little bit more, but it does really highlight that just even having that conversation. And again, she said three months prior to when you would claim and just really talking these things through is is really helpful, really important. So mm-hmm. again, which is, again, it's a service that they're, they're offering. It's available to you. It's that, you know, there's not a kind of an, invoice or bill that you get from having that conversation with social security. So they really want to make sure that you just understand what's happening with with these benefits there. I'll kind of uh, just highlight personally, the thing that I I think is really tough for people to understand is that earnings test, is that if I retire uh, or if I claim Social Security early, right, if I claim prior to my full retirement age, there is an earnings test. So I can't earn addition to the amount that Libby stated. And I know that will change every year. Uh, There's usually uh, some sort of inflation adjustment to those amounts over time, but Mm -hmm. That, that's something we're just to keep in mind. So if I do retire early, I claim Social Security early. That if I need want to go back to work, or you know, hey, I I want to be in the workforce. And just like we had Barbara Babkirk, we talked about uh, working in retirement, or Elisa Spain talking about retirement as a pivot, doing something different maybe you're earning uh, for the time that you have and it's fun. It's different, but keep in mind if you're claiming social security early, mm-hmm. that uh, there is a limit there and it can really hurt you if you're, uh, if you're earning and also not talking to social security about it. So again, okay. you can suspend and then you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be, being penalized for the amount that you're taking in excess of, of your benefit there. So I think those are really important things to point out in today's show. Again, lots of more things that we could highlight today, but I think those were three really good takeaways. Of course, with our show, uh, we're, we're nearing the end here. You can always find more information. Uh, we'll post those links that Libby shared with us, including some others here at blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash four zero. So we're episode 40. We tried to hold out to 62. We couldn't do that today. We decided to do a social security episode at 40. So apologize for that, but uh, we're claiming, we're claiming our social security uh, guidance early here. So uh, if you want more information, go to that link and uh, appreciate you tuning in today. As always uh, love, uh, love that you took the time out of your day to listen with us and we'll see you next time. (laughs)
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session